I'm Audrey Cooper, the editor-in-chief of the San Francisco Chronicle, and the Chronicle Newsroom has been running all weekend covering the fires that are blazing around California. We've had some major changes this weekend to the biggest fires burning around the state, as well as our ongoing power outages. The latest information is always available at sfchronicle.com. And right now I have on the line Megan Cassidy. Megan, you were out all day and a little bit of the morning and a little bit of the night um, in wine country. Tell me where you were. So I've, I've been out there now for uh, three days. I think it's three. Um, today I was out in uh, Alexander Valley, which is in the heart of wine country, um, and it's got all of these premier uh, vineyards and nice property uh, that are kind of just off one uh, side, one highway, which is 128. And what what did it look like up there? Did you see, was the fire still burning or were you, did you get there after it had blown through some of this area? Yeah, uh, definitely after it had blown through today. Um, today, my uh, my task was to really just assess the damage out there. Um, so there, there were still some spot fires, you know, some that just looked pretty daunting. Like I saw some propane tanks that were, you know, shooting up some flames. But as far as like for the major damage, that that had already been done. Because overnight, Saturday night into Sunday morning, we had these crazy, powerful, up to in excess of 90-mile-an-hour gusts that came through and really blew this Kincaid fire right into the heart of this premier wine area. What Are, are there a lot of wineries that are just no more in that area? Um, yes. Uh, and it it was it was interesting because at first when you when you drive through it doesn't actually look that bad, um, you know there there's one intersection where one house was completely leveled and then uh, a house across the street from it was still standing, um, you know some of the patio furniture got it but it was spared, so then when you're driving down um, this highway 128, it like I said it doesn't look that bad but it's only when you start turning into these little turnoffs that you start to see to, to uh, see the extent of the damage. And and what did what did you see when you did that? Um so all of these places are, you know, it's it's it was kind of hard to tell even what was there. Um there were there were some tasting rooms, uh looks like probably some sheds, there's private property, definitely some stru- definitely lots of structures uh were were just completely raised. Um there was a, uh, a tasting room that I saw that had smoke coming out of it, but it was still intact. Um, lots of uh, heavy machinery was charred, you know, that, like, white charcoal color. Um, and then, like I said, um, things that, like, you can tell that they probably were a structure just because, you know, they're they're within the boundaries of right angles, like a rectangle, but um, you really, like, you can't even, like pick out an object within it. Like a foundation maybe, but nothing on sure. top of it. Right. Wow. And exactly. which really shows you how hot and quickly this fire burned. So yeah. did you, this area has been under a mandatory evacuation. Did you see anyone a- around the area besides firefighters today? Um, yes. Right Right when I got there, um, I took a drive through uh, Healdsburg, which is the, 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 where I was, uh, is, is, technically in Healdsburg, but this where I went earlier was more of a residential area. And there were still, you know, it was, it was like, um, 
like an apocalypse movie, like the people that survived it, it looked like that. Just kind of people wandering around and taking pictures of the sky. I met one guy who um, was walking around his neighborhood, and he was supposed to evacuate yesterday, uh, Saturday morning. He decided not to. He waited out uh, with about five other neighbors. And but then the power went out last night, and uh, this morning he was calling it a day. He said he was going to be, was going to be leaving within the hour. So you've covered other wildfires in California before, including the Camp Fire. How was this one different for you? You know, this one was different because, like, it was interesting because, like, the Camp Fire was just so unexpected, and you know, the fire raged for you know several hours, and it was just complete chaos. Nobody saw it coming. But then afterwards, it was just mostly reassessing the, or assessing the damage and, and mopping up. And this one was kind of backwards because we all had a good idea that this could happen. Um, with the, even, even with the, uh, the power shut off, you know, exactly what they didn't want to happen did happen. But um, then once the fire started, we knew there were going to be um, more strong winds this weekend. So firefighters spent all of Friday just desperately trying to get a handle on this thing. Uh, before the before the winds picked up back again, and so what's interesting about this one is like everybody planned as much as they could for it, but it's still ongoing. Like you know, this this thing could blow up again tonight, and it has like it has several other nights uh, since it started on uh, late Wednesday. Right, and this the scary thing seems to be, according to the weather forecast, it, it might calm down a little on Monday when this podcast will air, but then it's likely going to pick back up Tuesday. And and if the Kincaid fire or other fires are not contained by that point, they could rage out of control again. So a lot of people right. going to be evacuated potentially for a very long time. Right. Well, Megan, um, I'm really glad that you're back and that you're safe and uh, get some rest tonight because I know you'll be back at it tomorrow. And when we come back from this break, I'm going to have on J.D. Morris, who covers PG&E for us. And we're going to talk about the power outages and how long those might go on. Thanks, Megan. All right. Thanks. I'm back, and now J.D. Morris is joining me. J.D., you cover PG&E and Energy for the Chronicle. You have been a busy guy this autumn. Uh, Very busy, especially (laughs) this month. Yes, this month has been pretty crazy, and this weekend. So bring us up to date. How many people are without power and are expected to remain without power this week? A little bit of a complicated question to answer. Um, Initially, PG&E said they were cutting power to 940,000 homes and businesses. Um, I think that number may be changing. I'm not totally sure. At this hour, it's a bit in flux. Um, But that would add up to an estimated like 2.5 to 2.8 million people. I think about uh, 1.3 million of those um, were in the Bay Area, so a really – Massive blackout, unprecedented even for PG&E, which had an unprecedented blackout uh, just a few weeks ago uh, at the beginning of October. And PG&E is now saying that customers in um, 32 counties may be affected by another wind event that would require them to do another blackout on Tuesday and Wednesday. They're going to try to restore power to everyone before then, but they have already admitted up front that they may not be able to do that. So some unknown number of people at this hour um, could be 
who lost power on Saturday could not even start to get power back until like Wednesday. It's looking it's, pretty bad. It, it looks terrible. And last night we know that there were gusts around the Bay Area that were in excess of 90 miles an hour. And we, I mean, just me driving in the city today, you could see the uh, impacts of the wind. And we have a lot of photos on sfchronicle.com of power lines down, some that were de-energized and also some that may not have been de-energized. And PG&E has had a lot of criticism, I think, over the last week or so of people who say, why is my power out? It's not windy here. But then on the other hand, areas where they haven't turned it out may have sparked fires. So they're kind of in a terrible situation, aren't they? Yes. Um, One thing that we hear about that point, though, a lot, um, I think Governor Newsom summed up the criticism uh, that a lot of people have been Lodging pretty well when he was talking recently about, you know, decades of mismanagement and negligence and all of that. Um, So there's clearly a sense out there that, you know, this uh, choice that California is in right now between fires or no power that it didn't have to be this way and that, you know, this was something that PG&E should have seen coming and it should have done more in past years to – prepare us for this, um, you know, so. Yeah, and PG&E is in bankruptcy right now. How do you think that these new fires, which seem like it's very likely it might have been caused by a PG&E transmission line that was not de-energized. The Kincaid fire. Yeah. What, the Kincaid fire. What's the implication for PG&E and its bankruptcy and, and all the people that think that they're owed money because of damage done to their property during previous fires? Right. So, At the end of the day, it should not hopefully affect the ability of any of those victims of past fires to get money. It just may make the whole process a lot messier. Um, And it also depends a lot on how many claims there are against PG&E once the Kincaid fire um, is over. So the way the bankruptcy law works – if there are claims that arise against PG&E from a fire that started after it filed for bankruptcy, those claims go to the front of the line. Um, so PG&E has to pay those in cash first is what I have been told before it gets to dealing with the other fire victims. Um, obviously, that's a lot more complicated if there is some huge number. But if it's only like 50, then that's a different story. Um, so we're just going to have to see. So let's let's sum it up. So how long are the longest power outages going to last for people? Do you have any estimate on that? I don't, but I could say at least, let's see, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So potentially like four to five days minimum. Um, but what we know is that you know, it's not like the weather, the wind passes and then PG&E flips a switch and turns everybody's power right. back on. Right. They have on. to go and inspect the lines again. And, yes. and we know and that there is damage out exactly. there. Exactly. And these winds have not only been um, very fast. I think everyone in the Bay Area should have experienced them by now. Um, but they've also been very sustained. So we've had really fast winds for a really long time over a very large area of the state, which suggests that there – and then there's another wind event coming. To me, that just suggests that there could be quite a lot of, you know, 
damage to PG&E's equipment that it's going to have to fix before it turns power back on, which will make that process go longer. Right. However, so I will also say, though, <laughs> that, um, you know, the CPUC, the Public Utilities Commission that regulates PG&E um, did not take very kindly to PG&E's prior suggestion that people could deal with blackouts for five days and their top uh, – PG&E's top electric vice president um, told the regulators that, you know, they were going to aim for 48 hours for power restoration. Um, but that was before this whole mess before, that we're dealing with right now. Before all of this went, how is PG&E – coping with this? Have they had to bring in more employees? Like, how are they going to even physically inspect all of these lines in a short amount of time, given the damage that we know is probably out there? I know they asked for mutual aid from um, other uh, electric utilities. I forget how many people it was exactly. Um, I think I saw at one point, though, I think pg e on its own had like five or 6,000 um, people staffed up ready to go and do this. They have a bunch of helicopters. Um, they uh, used to not be able to inspect their power lines at night with a helicopter, but they now have started to do that. They got um, – they're able to use like a helicopter from the state, I want to say Cal Fire, um, but it has like infrared technology on it that actually lets them do those nighttime inspections they weren't able to do. Don't know how like widespread they're doing that, but they're start they're – you know, they, they've gotten the message, I think, from the regulators that they need to be able to do this stuff quite quickly. So, And is there anything that's coming out of any of the politicians right now that, that might portend changes to how PG&E operates in the future? Yes, quite a bit. Um, but I don't know how it's all going to shake out yet or where exactly it's going. Governor Newsom told a reporter from Bloomberg, um, I think it was yesterday – that he thinks uh, Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway should buy PG&E. Um, if that sounds wild, it may be, but um, Berkshire Hathaway does own Envy Energy, the electric utility one state over. So there's uh, some sense to that proposition, I suppose. Um, don't know if the, that company is actually interested in doing that. Um, PG&E is a lot bigger than – Envy Energy and comes with uh, a lot of baggage, a lot of problems. So, um, yeah, don't know what's going to happen there. Um, Newsom's been very critical, though. Obviously, we've got you know the mayor of San Jose and the San Francisco city government that want to either buy parts of PG&E or turn it into some kind of like cooperative. Um, I think a lot of folks in Sacramento are going to be taking a much harder look at the future of this company and what it should look like going forward now. Absolutely. Anything else that we should be looking forward to this week in PG&E news or the power shutoffs? No, the big question is just going to be how long do these outages last and how many people um, never get their power restored before the first and the second one if they do actually go through with that second one. Yeah, we have a lot of uh, uh, emails coming into the newsroom through our assignment editor feature that's available on sfchronicle.com. Please email us with what you're seeing out there. And JD, thank you so much for working through the weekend and uh, good luck this week. Thank you. <laughs> As always, the most up-to-date information that you'll find anywhere in the Bay Area is at sfchronicle.com. I want to thank J.D. Morris and Megan Cassidy for being with us today. Thank you to King Kaufman for producing this episode, and thank you for listening.
Fifth and Mission is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. If you like this show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've got a minute to give us a quick review, that helps us build our audience so we can keep growing. You can support Fifth and Mission and the newsroom that creates it with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. There are print and digital editions. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.